Well, this morning I was going to be talking about Romans 16, uh, 1 through 16, but yesterday as I met with the guys, I was told we don't really need this portion of scripture, right? It's just, it's just greetings. What use does this have for us? So Mr. Evans recommended we just skip this passage and move on to a different text. So what would you guys like to study this morning? That's what we'll be doing, Romans 16, verses 1 through 16. I mean, this would be an absolute absurd thing for me to say, and y'all should boo me off the stage and make me sit down and kick me out of the church. To say that parts of God's breathed and inspired revelation have no value and should be skipped is just a, a horrible view of Scripture. And this is how many pastors and many elders and leaders of our church today view passages like this. Uh, usually in my study before I uh, go to the text, I try to find a sermon uh, to listen to, to kind of get an idea of where God would have us to go with this. And I just couldn't find any on this. I found one guy, I found zero Reformed pastors talking about this text. I mean, I looked on sermon audio, I looked on YouTube and podcasts, and it just, it wasn't there. And this really, this really is a great shame. I mean, we believe in Toto Scripture, right? That all Scripture is God-breathed, that it's the consistent revelation of God to us that His revealed character. So to simply graze over names and to not see it as His revelation to us is not what He would have us to do. I'm also very thankful for the faithful and exegetical expository preaching we've had up to this point in Romans. And why would we stop? Why would we stop now? So may God grant us eyes to see the beauty and the depth of his word. May we be taught and rebuked by the scriptures. May we not merely read the word, but be read by the word. And may we conform our lives to the word of God and to his glory. So before we read the text, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, God that you've given us to come before your word. I pray, God, that you'll keep me from error. I cannot see anything right apart from you illuminating it to me by your spirit. So, God, may I be faithful to your word. May we see what you have wanted us to see. God, because we do believe that all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for approval, for correction and training in righteousness. So, God, that we may be equipped for every good work. So, God, may we understand this. May we cling to your word. May we be saturated with your word so that we may truly love one another and love you as we ought. God, illuminate our minds and our hearts. May we see you as glory in Christ's name. Amen. So Romans 16, 1 through 16, uh, this is the word of God. If we could stand in the honor of the reading of the word of God. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Socius, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. And greet those that are of the household of Aristobulus. 
Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the house of Narcissus who are in the ward. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in, the, workers in the ward. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the ward. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the ward, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Felgon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren with them. Greet Philogus and Julia, Nurses, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. You may be seated. So starting out in verse 1 and 2, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church with Stachentria, that you receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and myself as well. So Paul begins his greetings here in Romans 16 by commending or demonstrating Phoebe approved to the church in Rome. She is a servant of the church. We talked about last week. This is the same word, diakonos. It can be translated either deacon or servant. Either way, whether a deacon holding the office or a servant of the church, she is a prominent helper of the church, which is at Centria. And this goes back once again to Corey's message last week, that women do have a significant and vital role to play in the ministry of the gospel. Women are not called to be busybodies and home dwellers, but diligent workers who serve Christ and who serve his mission. So I want you to note while we go through this text, uh, the words that Paul will use for the women that he addresses. In verse 1, uh, believe it or not, and this is the first time in the book of Romans that Paul uses the Greek word ekklesia, which is the church. Um, with Paul going through 15 chapters of theology without mentioning the word church was kind of really strange and astounding for me to realize in my study. But as I looked into this more, I realized there is really good reason for this. I believe what Paul wants us to do is see, to show us what Romans 12 and Romans 14 specifically look like lived out among zealous saints. He's saying, look, here's the church. This is the first time he said it. He said, here's the church, and here's what it's supposed to look like. So he's saying, in these greetings, don't miss that. Here's the church. Here they are living it out. So if you could turn with me. Uh, to Romans 12, 5 through 13. It says, So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly, if prophecy in proportion to one's faith, if service in the act of serving, or the one who teaches in the act of teaching, or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, the one who is in leadership with diligence, the one who sh shows mercy with cheerfulness. Love must be free of hypocrisy. To test what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, and contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. So Paul is wanting us to see what these things and the things talked about in Romans 14 look like in the church. How are those zealous for God? How are those who are fervent in spirit to use their gifts to the glory of God? So I pray that as we go through this often neglected text, it will show us what a church family is supposed to look like and what it means to be a part of the called out ones to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in reference to Phoebe in verse 1 and 2, what does this look like? 
Phoebe is a vital person in the early church, as we mentioned. Most commentators believe that Phoebe was the one responsible for carrying the letter and delivering the letter uh, to the church in Rome. And Paul has specific instructions on how to receive her. And this could also how to receive other believers as well. So Paul tells the church to, number one, receive her in the Lord. To, number two, receive her in a manner worthy of the saints. And that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. So real briefly, I want to look at each point. So what is meant by the phrase, receive her in the Lord? What Paul is saying here is the church is to receive her as one of the, the elect, one of the saints. Phoebe and the rest of the saints share a common Lord and a common God. So the emphasis, uh, this emphasizes the unique and special bond that is expected to be in between the saints and the chosen people of God. So we're not to treat our brothers and sisters just as we treat unbelievers. There's this special, familial, intimate relationship that they're supposed to be here. It's not just as the unbelievers. The second exhortation Paul gives the church in Rome regarding Phoebe is to receive her in a manner worthy of the saints. And I, I really love that phrase. Paul is saying that there is a, a worthiness to being a saint, that there is a, a way or a manner in which saints are to behave. And this is a consistent theme for Paul in his, his letters. In Ephesians 4.1, it says, Therefore, the prisoner, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. And Philippians 1.27, he says to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2, he says that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. The church and the family of God is expected to walk in a worthy way and to receive their brethren and sisters and show Christ's love to one another. And we know this and have been exhorted to this end over and over in Romans 12 and Romans 14 uh, specifically. The third thing that Paul wants the church at Rome to do is to help her in whatever manner she may need. And Paul does this because she herself has helped others. It's not just to, to help someone as to be nice, but she herself has been diligent in working for the kingdom of God. So in return, we should help her as a fellow believer in Christ. Uh, Paul has already talked about how to live in a manner worthy of our callings in Romans 12 and 14. And now exhorts the church to Rome, in Rome to live in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will continue this thrust through the greetings. This is where the rubber meets the road for the church in Rome. And what does faithfulness look like to the text that Paul addressed earlier? So let's continue on with verses 3 through 15. And I won't read all that again for my sake and your sake, because I don't want to pronounce all those names again, and you don't want to hear me pronounce all those names again. So I'll just, you, you got that the first time, I'll just talk about it now. So uh, this is a difficult portion to go through verse by verse and to exposit. But what I want to do, I'll talk a little bit about it um, in its original context. I'll talk a little bit about certain people. But really, what I want to do is read it and come over with the overall theme of what Paul is getting at here. So uh, starting in verse 3, uh, through the start of verse 5, it says, Greet Prisca and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, also greet the church that is in their house. So most of us here know at least a fair amount about Priscilla or Prisca and Aquila. Uh, we read of them in Acts 18, uh, where it says, After these events, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found an, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. 
He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together, for they were tent makers by trade. And then we know later on in Acts 18 that Priscilla and Aquila would leave with Paul to go to Syria. So Paul is writing to someone here that he knows he knows intimately. There's a close familial relationship between these two and Paul. And he is genuinely grateful for the kingdom work in which they have taken part in and taken part in together. Uh, it says in verse 4 that they risked their own necks or their own safety and life for the life of Paul. And Paul thanks them for this, for saving his own life, but he thanks them more because of their ministry and what that means for the Gentile church. Uh, we know that Christ commissioned Paul specifically to be a messenger to the Gentiles. And in Romans eleven thirteen, Paul identifies himself as an apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul's motive is to make God's name hallowed in heaven and on earth, that Christ may have dominion from sea to sea, as it talks about in Psalm 72, 8. And that Christ's name would go forth to the nations, and that Christ would put all enemies under his feet. It is to this end that Paul labors, and he knows this is the end that Priscilla and Aquila and other fellow believers work to as well. And the Gentiles should be forever grateful to God for using people like Prisca and Aquila. And we too are those Gentiles who were once pagan and evil in our ways. So may we continue to remember uh, that God uses means to bring about his ends. We, we do not need to exalt these men, but to exalt Christ and using broken vessels to bring about the obedience of faith in all the nations. So moving on to the second part of verse 5, it says, Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Paul refers to Epinetus as his beloved, the one he has affection for. And once again, going to stress the intimacy and the closeness of the early church. And I mean, to think of our day, we call a brother our beloved. One thing Corey mentioned is that in these greetings, you have well presented the roles of men and women. And a lot of it even goes strongly against the conservative quote-unquote, idea of what these roles are supposed to be. Uh, many conservatives have this idea that a real man is supposed to be a guy who's strong, he can fix your tire, he likes to hunt and fish, and maybe, just maybe, he smokes the occasional cigar. And if he's really a man, he may have a tattoo on his right forearm. <laughs> and many conservatives, they see women as the one who's supposed to do all the work with the kids and wash the dishes and Make the, men in uh, make the men sandwiches at their beckoning call. But as we reject the liberal view of men and women, we also reject this horrible understanding as well. Uh, we will continue to see that Paul characterizes men as his beloved, and he characterizes the women as the hard workers and as the laborers. We as men need to rightly, learn to rightly be affectionate to the glory of God. And I know this is not my... My strong suit is not affection, but this is something we need to conform our lives to. So affection is vital for the lives of other believers and also for the generations to come. Uh, Corey sent me this quote by a guy named William Farley that really drives this point home. He said that the father's affection or lack also has a strong and lasting bearing on a child's sexual identity. According to research, both boys and girls form their sexual identities by relating to their father. And the more affectionate the father, the stronger the normal sex typing. The less affectionate and distant a father, the more likely his children are to be tempted with homosexuality or sexual promiscuity. He went on to quote a study that said, I never saw a homosexual who had a good relationship with his father. 
we have come to the conclusion that con a constructive and supportive, warmly related father precludes the possibility of a homosexual son. It is the loving quality of the fathering which a boy receives, and sometimes even a mere memory of it, as reinforced by the mother. When the father is deceased, that now turns out to be a vital factor. Sons must be able to admire and identify with their fathers in order to become well-adjusted heterosexual males. And he went on to say that there, of course, are exceptions to this, but they're just that. They're just exceptions. So being an affectionate male is not effeminate, but it is biblical. It is affection that makes instruction effective. Uh, Paul said four chapters earlier in um, verse 10 of chapter 12, he said that we are to love one another with brotherly affection, to outdo one another in showing honor. And we have lost this intimacy, this closeness between brothers and sisters, and especially between brothers and brothers in the modern church. And we must get this back, not just for the sake of obedience to Christ, but for the sake of our children and the next generations. So, Continuing on in verse 5, he mentions that Epinetus was the first convert to Christ. And we don't need to miss in passing that Christ has been building his church for 2,000 years and is building it now. And this all started in Asia with a guy named Epinetus. Christ saved people then, and he saves people now until all nations are in submission to Christ. So as we continue on in verse 6 through 7, it says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who are also in Christ before me. And once again, Paul stresses the two very significant women in the church, one being Mary, who has labored and been diligent for the gospel. And in verse 7, we see Paul's greeting to Andronicus and Junius, more than likely a husband and a wife here. And these are his fellow Jews and his fellow prisoners. Now, some commentators like to take a more metaphorical view of them being Prisoners, I tended to lean toward a more literal view that they were actually prisoners in Rome or wherever with, with him. Not in Rome, he didn't. He wasn't in prison in Rome, but w when he was in prison. Um, and then we come to the controversy that Corey mentioned briefly last week, which I would like to look at just a little bit more this morning before I kind of get to the main point of all of this. Um, it is the phrase, who are outstanding among the apostles. And this, of course, gives the modern liberal theologian supposed grounds for his heretical beliefs. And it's simply a straw man to say that Junia was an apostle, and this can be easily refuted by simple logic and exegesis. So the 1995 uh, New American Standard translated it, I think, the most accurately, but I think sometimes this can get lost in translation. I think the ESV says that they are well-known among the apostles, I think the best version to kind of convey the right idea was the Christian Standard Bible, which says that they are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles. I think this is the idea of what Paul is getting at here. Not to say that Junia is an outstanding apostle, but that she is outstanding among the apostles, that she is noteworthy among the apostles. So to continue on in verse 8 through 12, it says, Greet Amplitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are the, of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman, and greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. So right here is where in my study, it really seemed to bring home what God was wanting us to see by inspiring this portion 
of Scripture. Once again, to read over all these names and skip this section for most Christians, that's, that's just what they do. But to miss the beauty in this text is a great tragedy and a great loss. It is important to see how Paul sees his brothers and sisters. He sees them and calls them his beloved in the Lord, his fellow workers, the approved in Christ, and those in the Lord. And we can do two things with this an application. Uh, we can ask ourselves, if someone here at church, or even better, from a distant church, was to write about us, what would they say? Would that we say or that would they say that we are working hard in the Lord and are laboring for the kingdom of Christ? Would they say that we are noteworthy among the leaders? What would they say about us? Are we working diligently for the kingdom where our fellow Christians see us and all they can do is acknowledge it? And it's not as if we do this for the praise of our mortal men and our fellow believers. But are we being slothful and zeal, as Paul talked about in Romans 12? Uh, the second way we can apply this is to ask ourselves, what do we have to say about our fellow congregants? In many churches, there seems to be much gossip and less encouragement and acknowledgement of gifts. I'm thankful that it's not this way in our church, but it's a reminder to stay faithful. Do not be a gossiper, but to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, because this is what God would have us to do. We are prone to wonder, so it is an important reminder for all of us. It is so easy to fall into this trap. Now, to continue on in verse 13, it says, To greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greece and Critus, Felgon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermus, and the brothers and sisters with them. Greet Felagus and Julia, Nurses, and his sister and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. So many commentators believe that this Rufus is the same one who helped carry Jesus' cross. So whether or not that's true, this man did play a large role in God's redemptive work. He's a choice man in the word, referring to his election in Christ, which is a significant doctrine for Paul. Also, once again, I know I'm stressing this point, but I think Paul is stressing this point, the intimacy Paul had with these believers. He said that Rufus' mother was just as a mother to him. This idea of believers being as a family is a central theme of the scriptures, and especially the new covenant. So now what is the overall theme of the verses, and what is God wanting us to be taught by all of this? If you could turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. starting in verse 11 going through verse 16 and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, by, but speaking the truth and love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself and love. So the core message 
of this and Romans 16 is twofold. It is, number one, the intimacy of the body, and number two, the unity of the body. So we've already been talking about the intimate fellowship, and I've been stressing that as we've gone along, and the love that these believers have for one another. But what we need to focus on now is the unity of the body. And we should be quick to remember that this part of Romans is not disconnected from the rest of the letter to the Romans. This is the same letter as was chapter 14, where Paul exhorted the people in Rome to be united and to help weaker brothers grow in Christ. And they had to be united because there were arguments and disagreements within them. Right? So this is the same letter, the same line of argumentation. So this letter was written to people who were having these disagreements. But yet in this, we see the unity and the love that they have for one another, but never to compromise truth. And it is vital to remember that. So we have, diff- even in our own church, we have differences on opinions. Uh, what the role of government should be, whether you're post-mill or all-mill. Uh, what do you think on baptism, even though I'm pretty sure that's just me. But <laughs> the list goes on. We have, we have certain things that we disagree on. But to take example from Paul and the believers at Rome, even though they disagree on important things to realize that we are united under the gospel of Christ. That is what is so important to understand about these greetings. As Tom Schreiner said in his commentary, he said that greetings are not merely secular hellos, but they are rooted in the new life of Christ. So we are all un- all united under the message of the gospel. And in this day and age, it is important to clarify that we do not prize unity over theology, but it is from our theology that we can come to unity and true love to one another. Theology does cause divisions in the way it talks about in 1 Corinthians 11:19, where it says that there must be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. But theology unites the true body of Christ, as it's talking about here, who are truly zealous and passionate for his truth. So we reject things such as happened that are happening at the large in the evangelical church. Like in the Southern Baptist Convention in June, the whole message the leaders got together is basically all about unity. That was that was their whole focus. That was the theme of that that conference. But what they did was set aside the theology and prize their peace and affluence over God's truth. And we must reject this as holy, unbiblical, and foolish. And I'm grateful for a church that sees these issues with such faithfulness and precision. You cannot have unity and intimacy without a Christ-centered theology. It's simply not possible. That's why he spent all those chapters laying out theology, getting to the application, and then saying, look, here in verse 16, here's the church. Here's what it's supposed to look like. These people are united under Christ. We reject all compromise when it comes to the gospel, and we reject any so-called unity that does not have Christ as the preeminent one. So finally, to finish off in verse 16, it says to greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This really brings the thrust of these greetings home. We should ask ourselves, what should biblical relationships look like? And also, this gives us a glimpse of what they will be like. Whether or not you take greeting one another with the Holy Kiss literally, which I'm assuming none of you do at this moment, this stresses the familial relationships that we are to have with one another. We are really more of a family in a real, more, more real sense than we are with our actual family. Because in this family, um, we will be with each other for eternity. We are adopted into the family of God. So we will be living with each other for eternity, while some of our family may not be. So in a real sense, I'll be with you guys forever. 
with my actual family, maybe not. So we need to learn to love one another. So this, of course, takes us back to the adoption and the grace of God. It's by God's grace alone by which we have become children of the Father and our brother and sister with one another. So it is in light of this that we should be intimately close with those we come together with on the Lord's Day and also other churches as well. So in closing, I'm getting to the point. Uh, Turn with me to your Bibles in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the wall of the commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For though him we both have our access and one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We are no longer strangers, but we are fellow citizens. We as saints will share a home for eternity, and in eternity we will finally love our fellow saints as Christ has loved us. And this is what Paul wants us to see in these greetings. As I said earlier, this is the first time he used the word church in all of Romans, and I am certain it was by the divine sovereignty of God in inspiring the scriptures that this is the case. It was to stop and say, look, here's the church, and here's what the church is supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like Christ. And though we fell, we have a day to look forward to in a renewed earth where our fellowship will no longer be tainted with sin, but done perfectly in unity and in intimacy and in the truth. So in conclusion, the call of the text is clear. To outdo one another in showing love. To see the example of Christ and to love the saints. So may we take these often neglected greetings of Paul and see what we are supposed to look like as a church, to be laborers of the kingdom and to be truly chosen and approved in the Lord. And let us look forward to the day when all things are restored and we are finally able, without our sin hindering, to love our brothers and sisters as Christ Christ has loved us.